Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team. Pastor Finney for, for praying that prayer. Before we get started this morning, wanted to let you know that there will be a memorial for Dolores Bjorback this Saturday at 2 p.m. And invite you to pray for the family as well during this time. And then on Sunday at 2 p.m. for Jan Anderson as well. So thank you for praying for and standing with these parts of our family as they go through the season. Well, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Before we start this morning, I have a a question for you. Are you ready? What do these three men have in common? Take a look. Take a look, okay? (laughs) We have Chuck Norris. We have Pastor Alan Skoog. And we have myself. That's actually me. Uh, Believe it or not, I'm wearing the same sweater. Um, but someone offered to give me a free headshot, and they said, the way to make, this is a hint for everyone, the way to make your chin go away, because I don't have a chin, or to give yourself a chin, is when you take a picture, just stick your neck out. So that's me sticking my neck out like that. <laughs> but what do these three men have in common? Uh, what's that? <laughs> yes! That's it. <laughs> We're all good looking. Uh, why are you shaking your head, Pastor Allen? <laughs> we all have this, uh, someone said this morning, I know that the, the similarity between you all, you, you all have this crazy roundhouse kick. And that's, of course, from Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris was, uh, was famous for uh, the first movie, Real that he was in was The Way of the Dragon with Bruce Lee, right? And uh, we'll talk about Chuck Norris in a little bit. But truly, the, the reason that all three of these men are up there is because we all had our birthday this week on March the 10th. Yes, we all have the very same birthday. And I want to show you that, that someone gave me this. This is my own very, very own bobblehead. And uh, if you see any difference, it's not just because I came back from India. It's because that, uh, that this is, this is a, a likeness. Uh, it's actually from that picture there, so it's funny, and you can see this later. I won't put this up as a distraction. I'll put it down here. But if I kick it and it starts to wobble, and then my head might start wobbling up here as well. But out of these three people, do you know who the oldest is? Is Chuck Norris who's 83 years old. Can you believe that? So what's interesting about Chuck Norris and, um, is that in the recent last few years, there's been a cultural phenomenon um, with, with something called Chuck Norris jokes, okay? So with Chuck Norris jokes, most of the young people, like my boys, they've probably never seen a Chuck Norris movie, have you? Like Delta Force or Walker, Texas Ranger or any of those. No, but they all know these Chuck Norris jokes. 
So let me share some of them with you. And uh, if you know of one, Connor, if you know one, you can share with me later. But it says this, like, I heard this on the radio this week, actually. How many push-ups can Chuck Norris do? All of them. Okay? I mean, Chuck Norris is that bad. He's good, bad, but you know what it means in this language. Okay, Chuck Norris doesn't actually do push-ups. He pushes the earth down. Okay, okay. There's no chin behind Chuck Norris's beard. There's only another fist. Chuck Norris once shot an enemy plane down with his finger by yelling, bang. (laughs) Chuck Norris counted to infinity twice. (laughs) Once a cobra bit Chuck Norris's leg, and after five days of excruciating pain, the... That's right. That is right. And then finally, and there's hundreds of them, but Chuck Norris used to beat up his shadow because it was following too close to him and now stands 15 feet behind him. Chuck Norris jokes. Why am I telling you jokes this morning? I'll explain in a little bit. But as we take these weeks to journey to the cross, in this time of Lent, last week, Pastor Barry walked us through John chapter 3 and as we discussed how the cross enables us to live lives in the reality of eternal and abundant life in our present lives, to experience the kingdom of God now. So think about it, as we are all on this journey to the cross, not just in Lent, but in our lives, we come in contact with people every day that our journey that we're on has the potential to impact So I have a question for us this morning as we begin is, how in the world are those people going to find out about who Jesus is? Turn with me to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, there there should be a pew Bible. We're just going to walk through this chapter together. And and, uh, the story begins in uh, around Jerusalem. You see it's in Judea there. Judea, then there was Samaria, and then Galilee up top. And verse 1 starts with, therefore, when the Lord heard that the Pharisees, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made him baptize more disciples than John, though he did not himself baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed to, again, to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Needed. Think about this with me, because what happened at that time, Samaria, was, was it looks like the road for sure would go from Jerusalem all the way up, and, and there was a road who did, uh, that did. But it wasn't as if Jesus says, hey guys, we need to take a shortcut, so let's go through Samaria, because most Jews didn't go through Samaria. They actually went across Jericho on the other side and went up Perea all the way up because they didn't want to engage with Samaritan people. If you remember the story, the kingdom of Israel divided between Judah and and Israel way back in the time of 
Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. Jeroboam was one of the commanders of, uh, of Solomon's army. And, uh, and God ripped the kingdom apart. And that was the beginning of it. Jeroboam actually set up his own little temple because he didn't want his people going down to Jerusalem. So they set up their own place of worship. Then many years later, as the kingdom completely fell apart, the people from all the Jews in that area were taken into captivity, if you remember, and, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar would put, and other kings would put uh, different people groups in the area of Samaria, other people, because they were conquering, and the way that you would conquer back in the day is you wouldn't necessarily kill them all, you would just uh, mix them up so much with interbreeding that they lose their identity, and that's what happened. They would bring these different people groups, and then the Jews intermarried with them, so they weren't even real Jewish people, they were mixed breed. And so the good Jewish people made up their own thinking that we can't associate with these Samaritans, so we're not even going to go through their land. We're going to walk around. And that's what they typically did. So we read here that he needed to go through Samaria. He didn't need to, but he needed to because there was an appointment that was set up for him that if he didn't go that way, it would never have happened. And the woman at the well, and as a result, the whole village would have missed out on the greatest opportunity. The question for us this morning is, how many of us go the long way around instead of engaging with the people right around us? The other day, I had to go to a cash machine to get out some, some money, and... Um, and it, right near our place, there's a strip, little strip mall with the Bank of America. And as I was going in, wouldn't you know it, but there's a guy sitting right next to the door with a sign. You know what I mean. How many of us would rather, uh, and he's so smart because that's a bank machine. And of course, he says, do you have any money? We're going into a bank machine. So to come out and say, I don't have any money, I lie because I would have money. It's brilliant. And as I'm going to get money, I'm thinking, oh, goodness. I remember that verse. I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. Oh, now what? So on the way out, I said, are you hungry? Because right next door to that was a little Caesars. And a pizza's only like eight bucks. I says, yeah, I'm really hungry. Well, would you like a pizza? I'd love a pizza, but so would my daughter who's at home. Let's get a pizza. So we came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. And you can see it right next to the word Samaria. There is the word Sychar. Near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat by the well, and it was about... 12 o'clock. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So I'm going to give you four words today, four words to help us learn how to point people to Jesus, and the first word is relate. The first thing that Jesus did in reaching out to people was to meet them where they were at. 
Hey, where's Jesus? Is he at that prayer meeting? Mm, he's at the pub. What? Why is he at the pub? Why is he eating with those people? Shouldn't he be facilitating, I don't know, something in the church? And what did Jesus say? He says, I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. I got to be where the people are who actually need me. So the divine one, weary from his journey, he sits down at a well and he waits for his appointment to come. The one that he needed to go through Samaria to meet. And it was a woman, a Samaritan woman. And we're not going to take time this morning to talk about all the cultural challenges that Jesus shattered, but to take a moment to consider how Jesus took the time to use something natural to relate to her. Would you give me a drink? Water. Let's talk about water. And for the next few moments here, that's what Jesus and this woman do. They talk about water. And no doubt the woman looked at him and observed he was a male. She shouldn't be talking to him. Observed he was Jewish because of his accent. And she says in verse 9, the woman said to him, how is that you being a Jew are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews don't have any dealings with us Samaritans. The question I have for you this morning is, how do you relate to people? How do you get into good relationships with people who need to somehow, some way hear about the good news of Jesus? So this morning I started out with some humor. Because humor is a great way to relate. And, and I'm looking forward to relating with you. And some of you, like the first service, is saying, hey, did you hear this Chuck Norris joke? And in this passage, Jesus used water. We just came back from India teaching entrepreneurship to pastors. And one young man who came through our program in 2018 was from a little country called Bhutan. Bhutan is near Nepal and Tibet, northern of India, near China, and it is a very closed country, a Buddhist country. You can't just go into Bhutan and say, I'm here as a missionary. And this young man, it was a follower of Jesus. He came to uh, the Bible school in Udaipur that we're in, in, involved with. And he came through the training. And, and so back in, in Bhutan, uh, he and his father had a church. But what happens in places like that, you can't have a, a church building typically because of the pressure towards Christians. So they were able, though, to rent a cow barn. And they fixed up this cow barn, uh, cow barn and they made it into a wonderful place of worship until the owner of that Barnes said, thank you so much for all the upgrades that you've invested into my building. You guys can go now. And so they're displaced. And so this young man says, I got to start a business. And so what he did was he got a petition and he went to all of the Buddhists and many of them were some monks around in, in that place. And he says, will you sign this petition? I want to start a chicken farm. And they're like, what are you going to do with those chickens? 
Because if you kill them, there's just no way. You go, no, no, this is an egg-laying business. And they're, okay, okay. But if you sign my petition, he says, I will give you free manure and a discount on eggs. So they all signed it. So he got permission to start his business. And he started his business with about 150 chickens, and that was way too little chickens. The demand was so great, he went to 600 chickens. Still, he couldn't meet the demand of the local market, so he's now over 6,000 chickens. He's hired nine people. He's making $3,000 a month. He's also uh, was able to buy land and build a church, and now they have 100 people at the church. And not only that, but the, the, the Buddhists in the area, because their gardens are so plentiful because of the chicken manure, they're now giving him their produce for free and being a blessing. Isn't it amazing how chicken manure could be a natural thing to build relationship and trust with people that can then lead to further conversations? Who would have known that chicken poop can lead the way. Today, over 100 people are in this church. Many come to, to faith because of miracles and healings. Relate, number one, begin with the natural. The second thing that Jesus did was to create. Relate and then create, okay? Create. He created an opportunity to go from the natural to the spiritual. Jesus answered and said to her, this is verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Did you hear it? Jesus went from talking about being thirsty to talking about living water. He crossed over. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. Andrew, thank you for reading this earlier. You did a great job the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and livestock? Remember Jacob? Remember that story back in Genesis 32 and even earlier, but Jacob, his name means deceiver. And the story, if you remember it, is he and his mom or his mom overhears that uh, Isaac is about to give a blessing, and, and so his mom says, you better get in there quick. You know, your father's health is failing, his eyes are bad, and, and uh, I got a plan. While your father sends Esau out to go get a deer and bring it back and, and dress it up and make it good for, for a meal, let's go out and kill a goat, put that skin on your arms, because Esau's a really hairy guy, and then... And then let's cook that goat, make it all good. I got a great recipe, makes it taste just like venison, and, and let's steal that blessing. And they do. What's interesting is just a few um, months ago, I was in Kenya with the Maasai, and I, I learned that they have a tradition about two young men who wanted to get a blessing one the, from their father, and so one tricks the other, and he does the same thing as I just told you. It's in their culture. It's in their story. What a way to relate to them and go from the natural to the spiritual. And then later on in Genesis chapter 32, 
After years of exile from his brother, he's about to come back and meet Esau. And if you remember the story, he's near the Jordan River on that map, and he meets with this man, and they begin to wrestle. And they're getting very weary, and, and, and the, the man says, let me go. And Jacob replies, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And the man says, well, what is your name? Jacob, he says. And the man says, your name no longer will be Jacob, but will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Just remember that story. A lot of the, some theologians think that that experience with Jacob and the angel could be what's called a Christophany or a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. So we could imagine the twinkle Jesus must have had in his eyes as this woman says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? And Jesus answers and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst. But the water I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing into everlasting life. And he's probably thinking, oh, did I ever know Jacob? The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And you could think of the hard work it must have been for this woman to come out at that time. We don't know why necessarily she came at that time of day when it was really hot. Some people think it was because the other women didn't want to be seen with her, which could be. But every time someone came to the well, the work that was needed to draw that water for themselves or for their animals or for their families was pretty exhausting. And in a moment, Jesus moves from talking from the natural to the spiritual. For years, we, our family was involved, and some of you were too, with international students at Edmonds College. And we had a great time during those years. Edmonds College would actually invite these international students, and they would participate in a year-long program, and they were supposed to go back as ambassadors of goodwill that America's not that bad. America's not that bad. When they go back to their countries like Egypt and Bangladesh and and Brazil and and some other countries. And we had a great time doing this. Uh, We had one student from from, uh, Brazil. His name was Bruno. I remember driving down the hill of Edmonds into Edmonds on a nice sunny day. And Bruno looks across and sees the Olympic mountains. And he says, wow, Robin, look at those mountains. There must be something bigger than us. What an opportunity to go from the natural to the spiritual. Easter's coming up, and every Easter, Donita makes this cake, and this cake is um, a lamb. And there's one of the lamb 
cakes right there, and it's quite cute and all. And we had that cake in, um, in our living room, I'll never forget, on our coffee table, and one of our students named Jorge says, Robin, why is there a lamb cake? What does this mean? What an opportunity to go from the natural to the spiritual. And with Jorge, I was able to say, let me tell you what Easter is really all about. So we talked about the lamb that was slain for him and for me. And the last I heard, Jorge came to know Jesus through someone else. One of the biggest difficulties in our relationships is that sometimes we never cross over from the natural to the spiritual. We can be involved in relationships all day long and even till the Lord comes back and never mention his name. We are too timid, too fearful. We feel too awkward to share the good news that you yourselves once responded to. May God help us be confident to share with someone else. And sometimes people just aren't interested, and I get that. And then it's just time to keep talking natural. That's okay. And be an authentic relationship. But it really is helpful to know that you and I can't save anybody. It's the Holy Spirit that draws people to himself. Which leads us to the third point, which is convict. So relate, create, and then convict. Turn on the light. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus says, well, you've answered correctly. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now isn't even your husband. (gasps) You're right. She obviously knew that the life that she was not living was not the one she wanted. And we don't know the reason why people are in different situations. Life is messy. We don't know why she was married five times. Perhaps she was widowed once or more. Divorced. But the world that we all find ourselves in is shattered. And a question for us this morning, when we are faced with interacting with someone who has a broken story, what's our reaction to them? When we see someone who is really broken like the woman at the well, what do we do? Is it our instinct to engage with them and listen or to distance ourselves from that person? Do you have hope for their potential that they can have a redeemed life and come to know their Savior? Or do we stay skeptical about their life change? That guy sitting in front of that bank machine will never change. I'm not going to talk to those people. I'm not going to help them out. Many years ago, I was in Salt Lake City with some students, and as we were going through, we saw some young people sitting at a bus stop, and we thought, let's try to tell them about Jesus. We didn't know them at all. But in five minutes, we learned that we could relate to them, figure out what they liked, what they don't like, created an opportunity to go from the natural to the spiritual. And when we got the time to just ask them about 
Jesus, the, the question I asked them um, as we were relating with them and creating an opportunity to, um, to talk about Jesus, I asked them the question. I said, hey, let's just have a, 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 a hypothetical question. Let's say your buddy here pushed you in front of the, the street and a bus came down and knocked you into eternity. What do you think would happen to you? And they're like, well, I'll go to heaven. Well, why will I go to heaven? Well, because God's good and merciful. He'll let me in. Oh, that's good. Have you ever lied before? They're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, plenty of times. All right. What does that make you? Well, I guess I'm a liar. Have you ever stolen something before? Oh, yeah. Okay, what does that make you? Well, a thief, they said. And as we continued on with those things, they finally recognized that, I'm a, that they were a lying thief with an adulterous heart and they'd murdered in their heart because they hated someone else. And so I said, do you really think if you stand before the holy God that he'll let you in? And they said, nope. It was amazing to see the conviction. And I tell you, I was not there with a bright spotlight on them. You are going to hell. The other week we were at a, a baseball or, or a, a hockey game and these guys with megaphones were yelling at the crowd and the crowd was like four feet away. You are going to hell. There is damnation for every one of you, right? And I went up to one of these guys and I said, hey, ho, 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 ho. How can they hear about the love of Jesus through this noise? Well, that's not our job. We're just here to bring conviction. I thought, man. There was a day when maybe street preaching worked a little more. My grand, great-grandfather was a, a street pre preacher in London, and people would gather the Salvation Army band, and they would play, and then the message would come, and people would respond. But this wasn't the way it was happening at the hockey game. Sometimes we just need to bring a little candle and share our story. Enough conviction. So, with these young people, I ask them if does that concern you if you stand before a holy God the way you are right now? And they're like, Yeah, we're in trouble, aren't we? And that's number four relate, create, convict, and now reveal. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. I don't think it was a distraction from the, the, the conversation. I think what she was saying is that I can't even get help for my sin. You Jews say I have to go to Jerusalem because that's where the true uh, worship happens. And here I am in my mess, five broken marriages. One I'm with now isn't even my husband. And where am I to go for help? Where is my sin going to be forgiven? And Jesus continues to guide her. He says, woman, the time is coming. You're not going to have to worry about it where you're going to go to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And, and Jesus said, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. I am he. And he revealed the good news to her. Listen to the good news. Listen. If anyone believes in me, they will not perish. The next verse. God did not send his son to condemn the world. Oh, I wish those guys with the megaphones would have said that. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, and this is the good news. It's a message of reconciliation. God knew him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might be called the righteousness of God. So I asked those three young men at the bus stop, I said, would you like to know that if you stand before Jesus, he'll welcome you in? And they said, yes. And I was more shocked than anybody that they would actually receive the good news. But we prayed right there and they asked Christ to be their savior. Question for you, do we really believe that he is the good news? So what happened next in this story? If we jump down to verse 28, the woman left her water pot. She ran to her village and she says, come, you got to meet this man. He told me everything I ever did. And they come out in the droves and Jesus stayed with them in their village for a few days and it says many of them believed. And they said, we don't only believe because of what you said, but because we've heard it ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes? And I want to encourage you that sharing the good news of Jesus with someone is the most incredible thing you can do. Partnering with the Holy Spirit is the truly the most exciting way to live our lives and the greatest single gift you could ever share with someone is to introduce them to the one who gave his life for them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the example you set on needing to be led by the Holy Spirit to be intentional in relationships around us. And may we learn from that. May we learn how to relate to people. Lord, help us to break out of our pattern and find people and look at them the way you see them. Would you help us with discernment and maybe our own story to create that opportunity to go from just talking about normal things over coffee to talk about what really matters. And Father, you've changed all of us and that story can bring enough conviction because of the change that has taken place in our own lives as that may create a thirst in them for the living water. And then may we reveal the good news that you love them so much, that you want them to be in relationship with you. We thank you for this morning, and may we be encouraged and challenged to share and be in intentional relationships with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.